Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Today's guest on Better Than I Found It is Rice University men's coach Justin Emil. Justin, who's now in his 13th year at Rice, is one of the good guys in the profession. Truly he is. He understands the importance of pouring into his athletes and helping build them into better men. He and I discuss his time before getting into Rice, specifically a five-year stint as assistant coach to Tom Shaw at Vanderbilt. Justin led Rice to the Conference USA title in 2014, and it was the first conference championship for the Owls in 75 years. His approach to coaching is not only effective, but indeed refreshing. I hope you enjoy the listening. Okay, better than I found it, listeners. Please join me in welcoming the podcast to the podcast today, Rice University men's coach Justin Emil. Justin, I appreciate you taking time, you know, just to spend some time talking today about college golf. Well, Mike, I'm honored. I mean, there's so many people that are inspired by this podcast, and and I I just can't believe that you'd actually think of me to be on here. So, um, I'm really looking forward to the conversation and and learning something from one of the greatest coaches of all time. Well, that's humbling to hear, but I appreciate it very much. But, you know, you exemplify what this podcast was going to be about originally. Um, in the world of podcasts, I'm a very small guy, not a big guy. And I didn't ever want shock value or being edgy or using language or different things to get people's attention to ever be a part of this podcast. What I wanted it to be was shining a light on the positive, great aspects of college golf. And, or junior golfer, but just the world we live in, there's so many great things that people want to hear and they want to hear stories. They want to hear your story. They just don't know it yet. They're getting ready to find out. You and I obviously have walked a jillion fairways together, whether it was when you were an assistant and I was a head coach at Oklahoma State or since the time that we've both been at uh, Rice and Baylor. So we've walked a lot of fairways together and uh, I've paid attention very closely through the years, who you are and what you do. So that's why you're on the podcast today. Um, Appreciate your I, humility, Mike. Um, that's I think there's a lot more listeners than you think, and and uh, but that humility I think has paved the way for uh, a lot of learning from a lot of coaches and junior golfers and parents and and even professionals. I'm sure. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I uh, I honestly think if I'm going to be a coach for however many more years, I better be learning uh, because. There's a whole couple of generations of coaches behind me that are way smarter than I am, more creative than I am, all those things. So if I don't continue to try to learn and push the envelope a little bit, I'm just going to get boat raced and lap. And I don't right. want that. So as long as I'm doing it, I want to do the best I can. But that's why I have at least every other podcast or so has a coach on it, because I want to learn from other coaches and I want to hear their points of view and their perspectives. So uh, really excited about this. You and I just finished a Christmas break, like every other coach in the country. That's a great time to settle down, take a deep breath, recharge your batteries, spend more time with your family, all those great things that give you rejuvenation. Uh, but we're, we're through with that. It's uh, We're back into the second semester. And as you and I both know, this is the fastest, busiest time of the year. It's crazy. It's over before you know it. So before we get into talking a little bit more about who Justin is, uh, take me through your spring schedule. Where are you guys going to play? Yeah, it certainly is a busy time. I mean, you could just ask my wife right now as I was uh, 
blazing out the door uh, this morning to try to get up here and get prepared for a recruiting visit and everything else. But uh, our spring schedule starts uh, a little less than a month from now. We play our first tournament that we co-host with Sam Houston State at Bentwater on the Miller Golf Course, which is in Montgomery, Texas, so not too far from Houston. And then we go to Laredo, Texas for the Border Olympics, the uh, oldest college golf tournament uh, in history. And so many great players have played in that. Uh, we finish that one and then jump on an airplane to head to Cabo, Mexico to play in the Cabo Collegiate. And I think that's where we'll first see you, mm-hmm. uh, the Baylor Bears, this spring. What a golf tournament, huh? What a field. Incredible. It is uh, such a great opportunity for my team. And uh, it, it it definitely boasts the best field in all of college golf and uh, in a really – fantastic place and it's uh it's pretty cool and then after that we we go to louisiana on spring break and play in the louisiana classics which is another historic golf tournament at oakborn country club in lafayette hosted by uh louisiana raging cajuns and theo sliman uh, and then we co-host again with the university of houston and jonathan dismuke at uh the golf club of houston tournament course for the i'll Olive- see you there i'll see you there for sure that's another longstanding college golf tournament. Uh, so many great players have played in the All-American. If you just look at the at the history books there. And then uh, we get a little break after that. And then we're going up to Indiana early April. So hmm. it could be anything. And we're playing a really tough course, the, the foul course at Indiana, which I believe is their university golf course. And uh, that's like early April. And then after that, we're just preparing for our conference championship and postseason. And so – uh, it's exciting, and like you said earlier, we were chatting. It really flies by every uh, every season. You, you feel like you just start in August, and then next thing you know, it's it's April, and you're you know preparing for your players to really compete at their best. Yeah, this is the exciting time of the year. I mean, the fall is great, but the anticipation of you know your ranking improving, getting invited to a regional, winning your conference championship, getting into postseason is always exciting and hope springs eternal. So we all think something great's going to happen. I know I do. Um, I I get to know your players better than you think, because obviously you do recruit in Texas and I do as well. So I know some of these players you're getting ready to tell me about, but just take me through your lineup starting from seniors all the way down to freshmen. Yeah. I, I would be doing an injustice if I didn't mention first my assistant coach, James Lee, who played for me at Rice. He was my very first recruit back in 20 uh, – I recruited him in 2011. He joined us in 2012, and he's done a phenomenal job. And I know you've got to – had a chance to meet James, and he listens to a lot of your podcasts as well, and he's doing a phenomenal job for us. And then I have a former player that's helping us out as a, a another assistant coach, Campbell Gibson, who is – truly grown so much in the last few years. He he had the opportunity as a grad transfer to go play at U of H for, for a year and go to grad school. And then he wanted to come back, which I think speaks just loads to the university here and, and um, his experience at Rice. And so I've been really fortunate to have those two guys help me out. So my seniors, uh, I've got a senior from Madrid, Spain, Rodrigo Martin Miranda. And Roddy is the, uh, I like to call him the most interesting man in college golf. Because he is he is incredibly talented uh, on the golf course. He's he's got a beautiful golf swing, uh, incredible short game. He's got Seve's hands around the greens, and uh, he can play the guitar and sing. He was 
crowned Mr. Jones College at Rice, which if you don't know, we have a residential college system here. And uh, he was the most talented male at, at Jones College. So incredible guy, good player. And then Jay Kirchdorfer, who tra uh, transferred here as a grad transfer from Kentucky. And we were fortunate to catch Jay at a, at a really good time in his career because his game was really peaking uh, right before he came here. He played in the SEC championship his senior year for Kentucky and then really helped them in the postseason that same season right before coming here and then had a great summer. And they just rolled right in here like a freight train. And uh, a lot of the guys call him Grandpa Jay because he's in his sixth year of hmm. college because of COVID. But uh, but he's been phenomenal for our team and and – and really uh, a good leader. We have Raghav Chug, who's a junior from India, New Delhi. There are 23 million people in New Delhi, and uh, which is incredible to think about. Uh, and he was the best golfer as a junior player in all of India, number one in all of India. And I thought to myself, well, if there's a billion people in India and he's the number, he's number one, he's probably pretty good. Well, you know, yeah. India had golf before the United States had golf. Golf really? came to India in 1826. It didn't come to the United States until 1888. So you you went to the right spot. That yeah, that's great. I didn't know that. So uh, I really lucked out. He's been a great player for us and uh, just uh, ball striker, really good ball striker, good mind for the game, good competitor. And then Blake Benson is from Austin, Texas. He was a part of that Westlake uh, championship program they have at Westlake High School. And he's really a sponge. That guy uh, will sit there and listen to everything you say and just take it in and just suck it all in and just be ready for just to apply it. And and he's really improved over the last three years uh, since he joined us at Rice. And then we got sophomore class. We got Davis Bird, who will uh, make the superintendent want to resod the range. That hmm. guy pounds some golf balls. Uh, he is a really, really hard worker, very focused, and uh, he's redshirting this year, but he's certainly uh, been taking advantage of that and putting the time in. And then Lucas Boandel is from Austria. By the way, Davis is from Houston. Right. Uh, Lucas, Lucas is from Austria, and he he came to us as a 20-year-old freshman because in Austria, you have to serve in the military for a year, I believe, or half a year before you can uh, – well, you have to do it at some point, and he chose to do it the summer before he came to Rice. And he's about to turn 23 uh, as a sophomore. No, 22. Anyway, he's he's an old guy. And I think one of the things that I thought about when recruiting him is that when he's a senior, he's going to be like 24, 25 years old. So a uh, very mature young man. Lefty hits it really far. And uh, beautiful golf swing. Just I could watch that thing all day. It's it's great. Uh, Nick Lee comes here as a graduate transfer from division three school in New York Trinity college there. And he, he's got so much speed. Uh, I wish he could just pass some of that down to me, but, uh, Nick has come in. He's very passionate. He can hear it in his voice, very competitive. And, uh, I really think that he's taken it. He's got this year, next year, he's taken advantage of the opportunity to really improve around a bunch of D one golfers. And then a freshman class, uh, two of them are from Texas, so you probably know them. We've got Javier Panday, who is from right here in Houston at Kincaid High School. Javier uh, won a bunch of golf tournaments as a junior player. He was the drive chip and putt champion at Augusta in 2019. 
and he won the Texas State Junior in 2022, which really sealed the deal for me. I mean, the guy's a winner, and, and uh, he's like the most popular kid I've ever met. He, everyone knows Javier, and uh, the comment, the the good comments always come flying at me uh, from everywhere. Oh, I know Javier. I was on an airplane a few days ago, and this lady said, "Yeah, I know Javier. He went to school with my son. He's such a great kid." So a lot of that going around, and then we've got Reggie Zhu from Florida. Uh, winter mm-hmm. and the first week Reggie was here he really established established himself as a hard worker everyone thought he was uh, an animal as far as the, how much time he puts into it and uh, he came out and just blew us all away in the first qualifier as a freshman which is really cool and and I uh, fully expect him to have a good spring uh, and then uh, finally Braden Hoyt who is mm-hmm. from uh, just north of Houston and Cyprus and Braden is uh, is really mature in his game. He can hit a lot of different shots. He, it's you know, coach, you know the uh, times when you're standing on this short par four or something, and you're like, I don't think it's a driver. It's like maybe a three iron or four iron off the tee, and then a wedge close. Yeah, you don't want to hit it like more than two forty. And uh, so, anyways, he walks up with a driver, and I'm like, I don't think it's a driver, Braden. I think you just need to hit like an iron off this tee. And he's like, No, no, I'm just gonna hit this like two thirty, coach. I'm just gonna chip it out there with a driver and he, and he pulls it off every time. And so I think that's really impressive as a freshman to be is that, that versatile with, with a lot of different shots and clubs. So, uh, but yeah, I I'm excited. I love this group of guys. We've got a lot of depth. We had seven different guys play in the fall and all three freshmen played and counted and did pretty well. And and so I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do this spring. That's great. Well, thank you for introducing me to your team. I I did know Javier and Braden pretty well. I'd seen them at a bunch of junior golf tournaments, and Braden even came to my golf camp here at Baylor. So, yeah, good good group of guys you have there. Uh, your 13th season uh, at Rice now, that's kind of hard to believe. I bet, you know, 10 years at Baylor have gone by in a flash. I don't know where time gets to, but – before we talk about your career at at uh, Rice, let's let's talk about your life before coaching. So tell me about where you grew up, your biggest influence in junior golf, just a little bit about that and how you got to Southern Miss as a student athlete. Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, my dad and my grandfather played a lot of golf. My dad was kind of the Wednesday, Friday, Saturday money game guy. And my grandpa was the retired football coach, teacher that could play every day. And and so in the summertime, he would, my grandpa would take me out to the course and we'd go play. And I would jump in the cart with my dad when he was playing in the money game. And I remember thinking how awesome these like 10 to 15 handicapped golfers were, how far they hit it and how incredible that was <laughs> until, until I started getting a little better. And they, you know, they were pretty, I, I realized they weren't that good, but you know, just being exposed to it. I think my, my, I had great parents. They, they gave me just enough golf to get me interested and they let me play other sports, basketball, football, baseball. And, uh, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't big enough or fast enough or strong enough to play football. Uh, basketball wasn't tall enough. Couldn't jump, couldn't jump more than six inches off the ground. So it didn't really do well for me either. And then, you know, golf was the one sport that I, I could stand out. And I think that that's really where what kind of drew me to it. It was very challenging, but at the same time, like uh, I was able to to excel in it. And and I'm really thankful that that was 
the path God had for me uh, in life because I've never had a job that wasn't golf. My first job was at a driving range when I, you know, in, in Mississippi where I grew up on the Gulf coast there in Gulfport Biloxi area, you could get your driver's license, like your full out driver's license at 15. And it was the greatest day of your life. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting a job that was at a driving range, uh, not far from my high school. And I'd go there every day after, after school and, and just work. And I get a little bit of time to hit balls. And, uh, I, you know, having a drive range was, was big for me because from up until 15, I didn't have access to a range because we had just a chipping green at my home golf course. And so we just literally just go play golf. If we wouldn't warm up, we'd jump on the first tee and take a full swing. And, and so, um, South Mississippi was a really great place to grow up. The weather was good. You got some conditions, you know, there was a lot of snowbirds that came down and it was kind of a resort type area. People would come down for the, you know, winter months to play golf. And, and so we had some decent golf courses and, you know, it just was a really, and you could go fishing or you could spend time on the water or go to the beach. It was really a great place to grow up. Yeah. Uh, and you got to Southern Miss play for coach Hall, Sam Hall. And I think you played for him for a couple of years, right? I did. And, you know, uh, I think I, I wasn't that recruited. I mean, I didn't do a whole lot at, in high school. I, I won a couple state high school tournaments, championships or whatever, uh, in my junior and senior year. And we had a pretty good golf team for 2A. We weren't weren't a big school. And so I wasn't highly recruited out of, out of high school I did qualify for U.S. Junior Amateur at Aronimic up in Philadelphia, and that really opened my eyes to to how much I needed to improve. But I remember hearing this story kind of deep into my college career at Southern Miss. And I heard this from Steve Johnson, who was my coach the last three years there. He said, you know, Justin, uh, your dad called Coach Hall every day Hmm. and told him how great you were. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and finally, Coach Hall, Coach Hall said, look, I don't care what we have to do. Let's just give this kid a spot on the team. You know, we'll, we'll throw some books at him and and be done with it. Then his dad will stop calling me. And so that was That's kind good of recruiting my, by your dad. Yeah, my dad did a great job recruiting me. I did have a, a small offer at Ole Miss, uh, and I could have gone to a couple of junior colleges and played. But really, I'm thankful that I went to Hattiesburg. I had a great experience there. Hope, I hope Eddie Brusher listens to this because this is good recruiting for him. But those five years I spent in Hattiesburg were so formative for me. And I'll tell you this, and this might be good advice for any uh, freshman or, or any class of college golfer is that somebody convinced me, I redshirted my first year at Southern Miss and I was really not happy about it. But one of the upperclassmen and good friends of mine convinced me, go into coach's office and get to know him. Go in there, talk to him, uh, glean some knowledge from him. And, you know, Coach Hall was a legend in Mississippi. He had uh, – he's in the Hall of Fame there. He, incredible player. And he was 67 years old when I set foot on campus there. So he was kind of past his prime. But he had so much to tell me. And I learned so much from that guy. And our relationship really grew. And that benefited me greatly. And when I first started playing after red shirt, and, uh, I don't believe I would have played as well as I did or as uh, – I wouldn't have been a good place to play as well as I did if I had not spent that much time with coach. So I I really feel like that taught me a great lesson is 
is you got to go and seek coach out and, and really spend some time with him. Like go in his office, sit down. If you got 30 minutes between class, uh, go to lunch with them. Just if, whatever you can do to, to get to know your coach. And then you'll, then you'll start to understand, I think, a lot of the things that he does. And, and you'll find, I think most, uh, most coaches out there, if not all of them, want to make their players better. And Coach Hall really made me better, and and I really appreciate that. So, uh, and one thing that I'll share less, I know I'm kind of going on about this, but you're good. I came across this Bible verse this morning that really thought it kind of synced up with this. It's from Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. It says, "Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking at the door, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds." And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I was like, Ali, you got to go knock on coach's door. I'm sure he'll <laughs> open it up and he'll, he'll, he'll share some really good wisdom with you. And, and certainly coach Hall, uh, God rest his soul. He passed away a few years ago. He, uh, he really let me know a lot of things that I, I wouldn't have known otherwise. Wow. That's a good story and great advice. I, I think kids are often intimidated by going and talk to the coach. Maybe something bad will come out of it. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. The kid comes into my office even if we're not talking about golf, we might talk about something that changes his path or changes his course. So uh, good advice for any young player. Uh, you got to Southern Miss and you actually, once you redshirted, you had a pretty good freshman year. You were conference freshman of the year in the Conference USA. Uh, you ended up being an all-conference player later. You played in two U.S. amateurs in college uh, in 2002 at Oakland Hills and 2003 at Oakmont. Talk about... <laughs> the gauntlet of, of golf courses to have to play your USAM. Those are amazing golf courses. Any memories from those two events? Uh, a lot of great memories. Uh, real quick, I, I'm known as the guy that changed the rules for freshman of the year in Conference USA. Mm -hmm. So my uh, redshirt freshman year, so I wasn't a true freshman. All you had to do to be freshman of the year was be the low freshman at the conference championship. It didn't matter a thing how you played the whole year. Mm. And I kind of played average all year. I think I averaged 76 all year. And then I finished top 10 at the conference <laughs> championship, beat all the freshmen. And I was freshman of the year. And Tom Shaw, who I worked with for later at uh, Vanderbilt, raised his hand in the next year's coaches meeting. And he said, why do we, what is this rule? Like, why can't we look at the whole year? <laughs> it just made total sense. But I'm the guy that made that uh made that real change come well come to they can't take it away from you i know that you've got it on your resume here <laughs> exactly no they can't take it away but i always thought that was hilarious that that tom was the one to raise his hand protest wow so, yeah, that's playing, crazy. The, playing the u.s amateur i tell you what as a coach now i can look back on that experience and realize that it was a level up in golf uh, especially maybe not so much for me at Oakmont. I don't think I truly realized it at Oakmont, but at Oakland at, uh, I mean, at, I'm sorry, I'm sorry at Oakland Hills. I didn't truly realize it in 2002, but in 2003 at Oakmont, I was playing really well. I had a great summer and I remember it was like the third hole at Oak. I played, I teed off the back nine and I got off to a pretty good start and I hit a nice little six iron above the hole and on the wrong side of the pin on this par three, putted it 30 feet by and three putted for bogey. Thought I was going to make birdie and I made bogey. And then the next hole, I pure a three wood off the tee. Nice high draw, fairway slants from right to left. It lands on the right side of the fairway with a draw and rolls into, you know, four or five inch rough. 
And I realized right then that I really had to level up. You had to, you have to work the ball differently in a U.S. amateur on a golf course like that. You have to put the golf ball on the strong side of the pin. And you can't just, just rely on default golf shots to play a golf course like that. And that's the difference maker for players. And I think in major championships and, you know, the highest levels of golf is strategy and, you know, it doesn't always have to be perfect, but you might want to, you know, hit a little, a little cut every now and then, or, you know, you can't just always hit the, you know, the, the stock shot, but yeah, certainly learned that you have to level up and I don't, my game wasn't even close to being ready for that, that level of competition. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. And um, it was really an, a great experience for sure. One of our incoming freshmen at Oklahoma State that year was Casey Wittenberg, who was runner-up that year at Oakmont. And I recall every day on the 10th hole, he hit in the middle of the fairway and had a sand wedge or a lob wedge every day. He never hit the green all week in any match or stroke play or anything. That green worked away from you, and it was as firm as, as concrete. And I just remember thinking, that golf course is hard. So, yeah, you say level up. It's just a different level of golf. That's all there is to it. Everybody goes to the putting green at Oakmont for the first time. Mm -hmm. You kind of look at it and say, oh, wow, this is amazing. And you try to hit that first putt, and you putt it about 30 to 40 feet by, and you're like, okay, it's on this week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so you had a really solid college career. You played fine, and I know you still had dreams of playing professional golf like all of us did when we're going through a collegiate career. Uh, but something happened your senior year at the conference championship that was tragic, and it, it changed the course of your of your golf life, of your whole life. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, I uh, was coming down the the stretch of my senior year, and certainly was. That's all I wanted to do was play professional golf, and my dad and I really shared that dream together. And so, anyways, he went in for a, a minor surgery that kept him in the hospital overnight. And I, you know, left for conference. We played the practice round. It was in Tampa at Lake Javita for conference USA and played the practice round, called my dad that night. Like I normally would, if he wouldn't, you know, if he hadn't come and watch, cause he came to almost every tournament and uh, really got to know all the guys on the team. My dad was really kind of a part of the group and called him and talked to him. Like it, it was like 10 30 East coast time. It was nine 30 back in Mississippi and just, you know, told him how it went, didn't say anything really special. And uh, I was excited to play the next day and I uh, told him I loved him. And then at three o'clock in the morning, there was a banging on the on the door of this remote. You know, we were kind of out in the middle of nowhere, Tampa, and it was a police officer and coach. We were all in the same house and coach answered the door and he came and got me. And the police officer said, you need to call home. And so I called home i turned on my little dial up uh cell phone that was roaming and i was scared to turn it on when we left the state of mississippi back then for the charges but then i called my mom and she said uh your dad passed away and he had died of a pulmonary embolism which is a uh you know a clot that goes into your uh, lungs your heart and it stops you immediately and just all of a sudden my life is gonna was at a complete crossroads and I I didn't know what to do. I, you know, coach said, well, you're going home. And so he put me on the next flight the next day and I went home and that was the end of my college golf career. And, and, um, you know, everything that I had planned in my life 
prior to that took a took a whole big turn and I you know I moved home I got into the golf business at a club uh one of the only private clubs in in uh in Gulfport which was a phenomenal experience and I'll tell you this Mike the Lord put these people in my life that I needed at 23 years old 23 to 26 years old that would take the place of my dad and uh Tom Shaw was one of those guys mm-hmm. and, um, but there were so many, I would name a few. Tommy Snell was one. He, he was my high school coach, which I was really lucky. A lot of people in college golf know who Tommy Snell is. Hall of Famer, baby. Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's the best. Um, I was lucky to have him as a high school golf coach and English teacher. So my grammar and my golf swing got a lot better during those time that time as his, his player. And, uh, He's a phenomenal man and I love him to death. And then Tom Shaw at, uh, and we'll get more into him, but he, he hired me at Vanderbilt, gave me my first chance at coaching. And I would say this, all you assistant coaches out there and, 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 and head coaches understand this is that when you have an assistant, you spend so much time with that person. It's like they're a brother to you or a child, whatever you want to call them. But for me to get to spend five years with Tom Shaw, was an incredible influence for me in the right direction, just in life and in golf. Uh, Greg Allen, Lance Brown, Brother Brown was the chaplain at Vanderbilt for the football team, but he had a Bible study for us. And uh, it, it was that was transforming. And then when I moved to Texas, Pastor Mike Myers, not to be confused with Austin Powers, yeah. uh, he was great. Uh, Matt Van Zant, Michael Whitehead. I mean, I could name so many people, but God put these people in my life that bolded and shaped me and put me into on the right path. And, and, um, I can't, I'm just, it's awesome. That's, that's amazing. Great story. And yes, God does work that way. Uh, when you least expect it, but when you most need it, uh, he, he does the things for you like that. And you mentioned Tom Shaw. I mean, five years with Tom, that's like to me, a master class in how to lead with integrity, how to compete with class, how to just, there's so many good things Tom brings to the table. For those of you who don't know, he's at Abilene Christian right now. He's he's just a, he's done a great job there, by the way. He built some beautiful facilities, and their team has won a conference championship. But tell me some, just a couple of things that you you got from Tom during those five years that that you think think make you a better coach. Well, you you pegged it with integrity. I mean, he was always going to do the right thing, and uh, knowledge of the game. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. one else that knows the golf swing better. You know, in that position, I feel like he 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 could have been a top ten instructor. Uh, he had the greatest short game of mm. anyone on the planet. He still has the greatest short game of anyone on the planet. He has to. He hits it nowhere anymore, but he does have <laughs> a great short game. Uh, he taught me how to caddy, and I think that was a valuable lesson. I caddied for him several times in some like uh, open tournaments and U.S. Open qualifying, whatever, and. Uh, you know, to learn that skill, I mean, you've got a, a tour caddy on your staff, Jeremy Alcorn, mm-hmm. but just understanding how to how to move a player around the golf course, what to say to him, what not to say to him, and uh, how to encourage him and and sort of give him the right information. Because, you know, way before decade and uh, Scott Fawcett, Tom was telling me, I want, you know, I want this yardage, that yardage, tell me how far, where, where do we need to aim this ball? I mean, I was learning a lot from him. Uh and I just didn't, I don't think I realized how great of a, 
um, teacher he was for me as a, an assistant coach. You know, Mike, you and I were assistant coaches, you much before me, but we were assistant coaches when you couldn't send another coach out at the same time. So you only have one coach out recruiting. You could only have one coach coaching. So it didn't really make a lot of sense to have an assistant coach up until about 2007. I think that mm-hmm. was, they, they changed that. And so I was really good at handing out energy bars and making sure everybody had 15, 14 clubs and, <laughs> and, um, you know, driving the, the other minivan and, you know, playing a lot of golf. I, I played more golf as an assistant coach those first, first few years than I, than I ever played. And I probably got a lot better, but, uh, by the way, Tom told me he thought you were one of the most efficient drivers he'd ever seen enough length to be long, but always in play. He, he complimented you on your driving. It was all downhill from there. I was in play off the tee every time. But <laughs> I, and I could hit, uh, yeah. Wedges were not good. Hmm. I could hit a wedge as far as my driver. Uh, okay. Great too. But, uh, yeah, I wish we could have put each other to get our games together because this short game and wedges were so good. He just couldn't he couldn't hit the fairway. Mm-hmm. But uh, but when he was on, it was it was pretty special. I mean, he could really play. Well, um, just a great guy to work with. I, my uh, <clears throat> pardon me, my second assistant that we hired this summer, Corey Donnell, played for Tom at Abilene Christian. Just loved him. Thinks he's great. I think he's great. Tom's one of the best coaches going for sure. Uh, one of the players that he recruited and coached was a guy named Luke List. Luke was an All-American runner-up in the USAM. And Luke was actually my captain's pick for the Palmer Cup in 2007. So I had the whole country to choose from, and I chose Luke for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons, I loved his length. I knew he could hit it a long way. But he was also a very well-liked guy and respected guy. And I wanted whoever I brought onto the team that year as the captain's pick, I wanted it to be somebody that everybody would immediately respect. Tell me about your time with Luke. Well, yeah, Luke was on the team at Vanderbilt when I first got there in 2006. It was his senior year, so I got him for one year, and I wasn't that much older than Luke, and so he was easy to easy to get to know and um, easy to like. And as a coach, you, he was kind of your dream player because he just worked really hard, and he was ultra-talented, and he was a special young man and just character was strong, just a good guy. And I think the thing that I remember most, and I probably told this to Tom a million times is like, I don't know what we can do for Luke other than just tell him good shot. Good shot, Luke. (laughs) Wow. That was long, (laughs) but uh, he hit the ball so well. He hit it so far and had control of the golf ball, you know, when, and he, I was just drawn to him. If I was on his team, I'd want to be around him all the time because he was working harder than everyone else. He was doing all the right things. And uh, it, there was just something that was magnetic about his personality. And and so I, if there was a group of guys on the team that that didn't spend as much time with him as possible, I couldn't understand it because I was like, I'm going to practice with this guy. He's going to make me better. Well, you know, and, uh, you mentioned that, you know, I knew who he was and I'd watched him play and I knew his record. And when I was talking to Jonathan Moore, who was my player at Oklahoma State, who had already been picked for the I mean, he'd already earned the spot, spot on the team. I said, Jonathan, I've got about five names here. Who would you pick out of these five to, to have a be a teammate? And he said, well, that's easy. Luke List. And I thought to myself, that was number one on my list. No pun intended. 
but he, uh, Luke is just an outstanding human. And if Jonathan Moore thought that, you know, Jonathan's as good as they come. So uh, you're pretty fortunate you got to spend a year with him. What a, what a good guy. Well, I, I, I was thrilled to see him get a couple wins on the PJ Tour. And it's just like, it seems like he's the guy, he fits the mold. Like you, how, this guy should make it right away, but it really took him a long time to uh, to really establish himself on the PJ Tour which was a complete shock because like every tournament his senior year, he had agents following him. He had a big deal with Titleist coming out of coming out of college. And you're just like, this guy's going to make it. He's got like the easy route to the PJ tour, but it, he really had to pay his dues. I guess that shows you it's not that easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> not that easy. So, you know, a lot of really good things have happened since you've been at Rice. You've been there, as I said earlier, in your 13th year. Uh You've had 23 All-American Scholars. That's pretty impressive. That's a couple a year, basically, um, which isn't easy to do at Rice. I mean, you've got – it's actually more difficult because the academics are so strenuous. But uh, one thing you did was you brought the first conference championship in 75 years to Rice when you all won in 2014. So just take me through with a couple memories of that ti- that Conference USA title in 2014. Yeah, Um I would say, yeah, you're right about the All-American Scholar thing. Uh, it's the same requirement for any school, and I feel like these guys are really, uh, really have to do well to to accomplish that. But yeah, the 2014 Conference Championship. Historically, Conference USA has played their Conference Championship in Texarkana, but that year, for whatever reason, I think it was uh, a lot going on at the at the Country Club Texarkana that we moved it to Oak Tree Country Club in in Edmond. And I know you're familiar with that place. Oh, yeah, very much. And I don't think I was ready for how much wind was going to blow in April there. But uh, my assistant coach, James Lee, was on the team that year. And he says this all the time in recruiting visits. We played a very diverse schedule that year. And we when we played all over the place, uh, we played in uh, Florida, South Carolina, we went to a tournament in Oregon, the Bandon Dunes, and uh, we were just everywhere. And he he attributes that traveling around and playing lots of different golf and different conditions to really preparing us to play at Oak Tree Country Club. And my favorite memory of that week was, you know, it was only 54-hole stroke play back then. Now, they didn't have match play or anything like that. And I'm sitting in, at breakfast. We had a lot of free time because I think there was a big rain delay or frost delay or something. And three of my guys went with my assistant to uh, Oklahoma, uh, University of Oklahoma's course to check out just to see the facility and stuff, maybe hit a few balls. And then I took my uh, a junior and a senior to breakfast, just me and them. And we, uh, I was sitting there with my with those two guys and one of them, Tommy Economo, looked me straight in the eye, and uh, we were kind of right there. We weren't. We were like in third or fourth place, but we were a few back of the 18th ranked team in the country, UAB. And he looked at me and he said, "Coach, I don't want this season to end." Mm. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I don't want it to end either. I want to keep playing." And uh, we were the middle wave out that day, and it was super windy, really tough day. And I don't remember what we shot. Actually, there's a scoreboard in my office. But I, anyways, not, not important. But we finished the round, and, and uh, 
uh, Whit Turnbo, who's coach at MTSU at the time and, and has gone on to be the Tennessee Golf Association director, he looked at me and he goes, coach, I think that that's enough to win. And I'm like, what, really? <laughs> and uh, so we had to wait a long time uh, for all these, the teams in the, in the final wave to come through. And, and uh, that last score posted and we had a one shot victory. And I remember my guys dogpiled on the range because they were warming up for a playoff. And uh, it was really cool. It was a really great experience uh, to come from behind like that. I think that's always pretty special. But uh, my I, I, my freshman that year was a guy named Kevin Riley, who you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. Kevin was incredible. He played uh, played a massive draw, but he got it in the fairway every time and good putter, good chipper. Played some phenomenal golf his freshman year. He was the freshman of the year in Conference USA, and there was a lot of good freshmen that year. But I remember at midseason, Golfstat had put out their projections of each conference and I think they had a comment about every team and they, and they looked at, they said rice has no chance to win the conference championship. That's a refrigerator uh, material right there. Yeah. So he, he had a massive chip on his shoulder. He took that article and he put it on his mirror in his dorm room and he looked at it every day and it just pissed him off. <laughs> and then at the end of, after it was all over and, and, you know, conference USA did a video and they interviewed my players and they interviewed Kevin, who's freshman of the year, conference USA. And Kevin was like, Yeah, uh, you know, golf set uh didn't believe in us, nobody believed us, and we proved them all wrong. And I, I think he I don't think there was a more finer moment for him than that. He was really uh he really soaked that up and that was a cool, cool memory that Kevin and I have. But well, uh as a coach, yeah. you're always seeking and searching for ways to motivate your kids. It looks like Kevin did it without your help. He just did it himself. Yeah, absolutely. So I can't take any credit for that. And you know what? I pol- I'm going to apologize for all those kids I coached for those first few years at Rice <laughs> because uh, I was a young coach, really wet behind the ears. I was passionate and excited, uh, but I don't feel like I knew I knew a heck a heck of a lot about whatever I was doing. So, so, so as a young coach, if you're listening out there, the, the players are teaching you more than you're going to teach them in the early years. They're teaching you how to handle critical situations they're teaching you how to handle a kid who's disrespectful have a kid who breaks a club and they're teaching you because you it's all basically first things happening to you and so you don't have to apologize you just we're going through what all of us do i would just make sure that door that office door is open and you're encouraging your players to come in and and sit down and get to know you because you can learn a lot from them they can learn a lot from you and i think i love it Think about I listened to your podcast this morning with Trey Bosco, and I could just see the relationship that you have with your player, Mike. And I think that that I mean, when you walk up to Trey Bosco at a tournament, he's happy to see you because there's every everything's out on the table. It's not there's no secrets between you. There's no tension or um, I mean, you're truthful with each other and there's conflict and there's uncomfortable conversations and disagreements. But at the end of the day, there's a, a strong relationship there. And, you know, that's really a big piece of the puzzle if you want to win a championship. I appreciate you saying that. Trey and I have had some uh, frustrating times, but every player I've ever coached and I have had frustrating times. But that's, I think, how the relationships are built, how they're strengthened, is because you find ways to get through those. And plus, as a coach, you better give that kid opportunity to learn conflict resolution because he's going to be an adult someday. 
So he's got to learn how to talk to another adult, work through a problem, and move on. And Trey's done a beautiful job of that. And he's playing his best golf. Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of a really, really good player that you coached, Mitchell Meisner, coming out of high school, probably not a, a lot of people thought about Mitchell as being a, a great player. And really, until late in his career, he hadn't done a ton at Rice. But he won some tournaments late, including your conference championship. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour today as we speak. Uh, I think he's one of the great stories in pro golf right now that nobody ever really talks about. He's done a lot when nobody ever expected him to talk about Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, Mitchell, uh, it took some convincing for me to, uh, to actually recruit him, but he, he kept playing well and and he was one of the better players and, and his, uh, his class from, from Texas and San Antonio. And um, that recruiting class, I can't, I think it was 2015 was his freshman year, maybe 2014, 2014 fall. Him and Mario Carmona were the two freshmen that year. And I've never seen, they were roommates. I've never seen two guys that that love the game more than they did. Uh, there was nothing that would keep them off the golf course. A good example is we could be at a tournament and if we had to wait for a flight or, you know, we had to spend an extra night, they, they would want to go play the golf course again. <laughs> <laughs> when a lot of guys would be like, I don't want to see this golf course, you know, for another year. And um, they just love golf. But Mitchell, it took him, it took him some time. He's a super smart kid, uh, great young man, very uh very talented. He could hit so many different shots. He he single-handedly convinced me that the driver off the deck is a good play. Mm. And uh because I saw him pull it off so many times. And then I started to think about it and I was like, okay, it comes off low. It probably doesn't have time to get offline. And if you master it, you're probably going to be pretty good off the tee. When you put one on a tee, it's not going to be as hard. Uh, but he had a really great, great ownership of his golf swing. He could, he, he'd be a great instructor. A uh, quick story about Mitchell. So his senior year fall was probably one of the best ball striking fall semesters of any player I've ever coached. But he got nothing out of it because he couldn't couldn't make a putt. He was really struggling with the putter, and uh, he's a right-handed player. And uh, he he was coached by Brian Gathright, who you know very well. Has worked with a lot of your players, and Brian also coached Noda Begay. So if you're not familiar with this, Noda putted on the I guess the left to righters he putted uh, left-handed, and on the right to lefters he putted right-handed. So Brian had the the wisdom or experience with Noda to suggest to Mitchell, you should try putting left-handed. And so I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, this is not a good idea. Uh, but um, maybe in I, maybe in my open-mindedness, I, I just let him do it. And he went home that that Christmas break and, and learned how to putt left-handed. And, and he came back and, you know, he wasn't making everything, but he wasn't missing the ones that you're supposed to make. And uh, he really, he just, as the spring went on, he just kept getting better. And then we went to Nashville for Lipscomb's tournament at Richland Country Club. Don't ever walk that golf course, by the way. We played 36-18 on that one. And, and and all these guys that like to use a push cart, you can't use one there because it's so hilly. <laughs> with Zorkas. So it just eats up a push cart. It just chews it up and spits it out. But um, Mitchell won that week, and he beat a really good player, Dawson Armstrong. He was a top 50 player in the country, I think, at the time. And he won, and we won, and we got, you know, we were pumped. We came home with a, you know, acoustic guitar trophy, just 
didn't none of us knew how to play it, but we were just so excited. And then we went to conference that next uh, week or two later, and uh, Conference USA had added match play, and so we were obviously wanted to get in that top final four and make match play and win the championship. And um, we we didn't play great that week, but Mitchell played really well and won. Pretty much had won it through seventeen hole or through his uh, 50, 53rd hole that week, and so we needed him to birdie the last hole to get us past North Texas and into match play. And he hit it to like twelve feet on the eighteenth hole, and and just made it left handed. And <laughs> we tackled him on the green. It was it was so fun. It was a great experience. And um, you know we didn't win that week, but so many great memories and. Mitchell had a job with, uh, I believe, Accenture in the fall semester of his senior year. And so he he was pretty well set up to graduate and then go off into the business world, but still kind of had this like itch to go play professional golf. And I think that really scratched the itch. And after that, he decided to turn pro. He turned that job down and went and played pro and then won. You know, stayed in Amber for a little bit, won the state am in Texas at Whispering Pines in 20, 2018, and then went on to win the Texas State Open, which was uh, put him in a category of only four guys in Texas that have ever won the tech, the Texas state amateur and the Texas open. And uh, I know Crenshaw was one of those guys, maybe Tom kite, but it, it's a pretty good list. Yes. And he's actually got status on the corn Ferry tour. So I've, I've got to believe he's a great success story. Um, and, and that I've never heard this story about how he got to putting left-handed yeah. because I, I'd never asked Brian Gathright about it, but, Maybe out of maybe. brokenness, Mike. Complete brokenness. Got it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Had the ball. Desperation. We've all been broken. We've all yes. been broken. Hey, uh, it's no secret that uh, Bryce is an academic institution. It's to me, it's an Ivy League school to me, but it's it's kind of tucked down here in the south southern part of Texas. So, if you could tell me one way you've been able to mitigate the fact that academics are tough and still be a competitive team. What, what's the best thing you can do to do that? Well, I mean, I, I've heard you mention it many times. I think this is true anywhere you go to school, but you just got to be really good at managing your time. I think that a, a good academic school is a great opportunity for, for a college golfer because you're really challenged in the classroom and then have to manage a way to, to, uh, to work on your game and, and with excellence and the same expectation, the same conversation. So it's a really great opportunity. You're you're in a small group of people. It's not for everybody. Uh, you certainly have academics have to be important to you to come to a school like Rice or Vanderbilt or Duke or Northwestern uh, or Stanford. You know that you know we're always in the same conversation as those schools. Um, but I, I I really like it because we we have a bunch of guys that are that are really pursuing. Uh, more than golf. And there, trust me, there's everyone that sits in this chair across from me in the desk wants to play professional golf. That's no, there's no doubt about it. And we've had some guys go off and do it, but you can't go play professional golf without managing your time, without really attacking it in a very smart and well thought out planned way. Um, these professional golfers are professionals. I mean, they're, they're smart about what they do. They know who they are. They know how, what they can do and what they can't do. And I think that at great schools, I mean, Baylor is in that conversation as well. You guys have a good school up there. 
it, it really teaches you a lot and it grows you a lot in that four years. And I think that that's really special. That one of the special things about college golf, and that's why you're seeing a lot of guys just have the, they just go right onto the PJ tours because they've just, they've been around all other great players. They've been challenged uh, for four straight years and they've had to learn how to really juggle a lot of things. And, you know, they're just kind of ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had a, a real good conversation with an alum, not even a golf alum, a basketball alum, a few days ago. And he said, Coach, we're preparing guys for the next 40 years, not just for the next, you know, four years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a career after college. And and um, like I was saying earlier about go and get to know your coach and, and build that relationship. Uh, these relationships that you build in college are going to be a part of your life, to, you know, for the next 40 years. And so um, these, this is an important time for sure for everybody. And and don't be shy. I go in his office, learn from him. If you got a Luke list on your team, you better latch onto that guy because there's something special about him and, and you need to figure out what it is. And uh, and listen to Coach Coach McGraw's podcast because there's so much good <laughs> stuff comes out of it. Yeah, that's good of you to say. And that's that's one of the reasons you're on this podcast is because I know you you love learning. Uh and so if you can give a little bit of what you've learned through the years to somebody else, a young coach, you know, that's that's a great thing. And uh, obviously the good advice you just gave about discipline to do a good job in the classroom, it bleeds over into your golf as well. And then it makes you a better husband, businessman, just a better adult period. I could okay. not, when you told me that you're going to keep, you need to keep learning. I'm like, how does coach McGraw not know everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's got a lot to learn. I've got news for you. So yeah. But I'm learning. I'm doing better. So, okay, well, I'm going to do a speed round with you here in a minute, but I'm going to ask one more question before we get to that. I haven't prepared you for the speed round, but uh, I did ask you this question before we recorded. What's the best piece of advice you've received from another coach, but not Tom Shaw? Tom has obviously had a great impact on your career, but just a piece of advice from another coach. Do I can I, Do I need to name that coach or do I can I keep that? You can keep that secret if you want. Okay. I had a phone call with a coach, you know, I think it goes back to that always learning mentality, which is, I think that's a, a great way to approach it. But I saw a team uh, that not a whole lot of people think about go like 56, two and one in the fall of 2023. And uh, I actually recruited that player when he was in high school and uh, didn't get him. He went somewhere else and he's the coach now. And I'm like, man, I got, I've got to call this guy. I'm like, what are you doing? How do you do that? You know, that's <laughs> incredible. You know, two people, you only lost to two teams the entire fall. And uh, he told me, and he said, I think this fits your personality, Justin. He said, he said, I, I just want my players to know that I care. Hmm. And I'm like, really? Um, and he said, yeah, I just, I try to spend as much time with them individually as I can. And, you know, it kind of goes back to that relationship part conversation you know he he does a great job of building that relationship and he's like he wants them to be vulnerable with him and and uh i really listened to him when he said that because i was like man that's absolutely i can so i can totally do that that just takes a little bit of, of time for me right just get that guy in here and let's let's get to know each other but that was really great advice um you know i don't think none of us have got all the secrets figured out 
when it comes to being successful with college golf programs. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about the relationships that you have with your players and the people that you meet along the way that that are really the the trophies that don't collect us. They're eternal. So I really appreciated him telling me that, you know, he could have said, I'm not telling you, Justin, or just I'm not giving away any of my secrets. But he he told me that. And I thought that was pretty special. It's a secret, but that doesn't work for everybody. There's some coaches that don't have the personality to sit a player in here and say, hey, man, how you doing? Like, it's like <laughs> no, it's like you better get out there and grind on your short game. But um, and that's who they are. They know who they are. It's like that's how it is. And um, yeah, but when he answers your question, he answered it relative to you. I mean, yeah. he, he knew that would fit your personality and that you you could get something from that information. <laughs> that's great. I'll be interested for you to tell me offline who that coach is, and I'll watch his spring season develop. All right, speed round. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Favorite golf course you've ever played? Augusta. Very good. Favorite course where your team has competed? Um, I'm going to say Texarkana Country Club. Love that place. Any place where Byron Nelson was the head pro for several years, that's a good spot and great, great, great golf course. It's a gym. <clears throat> Fast food go-to. Gotta go there. Say it again. Whataburger. Whataburger. Wow, that's a Texas tradition right there. <clears throat> Shawshank Redemption or Remember the Titans? Shawshank Redemption. It's a great show, isn't it? Oh, so good. All right. Luke Bryan or George Strait? George Strait. Ah, I knew there's another reason I liked you. Um, <laughs> favorite pro sports team. Oh. I gotta tell you more about this one. I grew up a Saints fan. Yeah. So I endured a lot of pain. You did. Late, mid to late 80s and early 90s. But since I've used, moved to Houston, I don't have cable. I moved to Houston, they black out all the Saints games, which is really surprising. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've become a Texans fan by default. And I really like their quarterback. And my son, my eight-year-old, has uh, uh, identified him as his favorite player, and I'm really excited about it. That's good. I like that. See, you're, you're Coach CJ Lawrence. Uh, lowest round in competition. 62. Very nice. Where was that? Uh, USAM qualifying 2002. Luckily, it was a 36-hole day. I didn't have to sleep on that 62. <laughs> <laughs> but it was what? at the Tribute in Colony, Texas, uh, which is I a know the golf course. British Open uh, copy course. Yeah. And uh, I think it's got – uh, Mike, I think it's gotten a lot harder since then. Mm-hmm. And so that still stands today, I believe. Great. Did you drive number 18 at the Tribute? It's all a blur. I just kept making birdies. Okay. And uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Couldn't miss. Most embarrassing moment on a golf course? Uh, this one hurts a little bit. Okay, so good. Year that, the year that Mitchell won, there was a lot of really cool things. I mean, this was devastating. And at the same time, a great story. So uh, Nick Duggan, who's uh, uh, a great player for us, also worked with Brian Gathright. He, uh, the classic first hole of a tournament, haven't changed my rangefinder battery in weeks, Mm. Uh, don't have a backup. I'm walking with him. He's like, coach, my my rangefinder's dead. I'm like, ah, it's no problem. I've got mine in the van. I'll just call Clay and ask him to bring it out. So my assistant coach brings it out and, uh, gives it to Nick and 
Clay feels awful. I feel awful about this, but it was set to slope. Yeah. And uh, Nick had no idea. He uh, he handed it back to me at the end of the round, and it still had been set to slope. And I was like, Nick, did you play with this on slope? Mm. He said, well, I don't know. I never used a slope brain finder. It had a third number, but I had no idea what that meant. And so he was completely honest about that. I know he – I mean, I, I believed him. And so I went to the rules official, and I was like, my player just played 18 holes with the slope laser, but he had no clue. I was like pleading his case, you know? And anyway, at, we call it, they called all the rules officials they could. And at the end of the day, it was DQ. And I just felt devastated for him. Cause like he was DQ'd from the conference championship at Texarkana. Like, but uh, we, we spun it in a great way and it ended up benefiting us. He played well the next two rounds. Um, but I was so embarrassed. I just DQ'd one of my players. I handed him a <laughs> range finder. And so they don't need help getting DQ'd. What are you doing? All right. (laughs) Final question. Dream force and you and three others. Yeah. I've thought about this question. Someone asked me a few weeks ago and I have no, I've never been asked that question, but, um, you know, Tom, Tom Shaw was such a great influence on me. I I'd be doing him. I I love playing golf with Tom Shaw because he's the guy that snap hooks it left in the woods. And then, chips it out to 70 yards and then gets it up and down after you bombed your drive 320 and you know you hit your wedge 25 feet and three put it Tom I definitely love playing with Tom I'd love to play with my dad again I think that'd be really cool um Jack Nicholas is always my um I looked at I, I remember watching him win the 86 masters I, I kind of caught the end of his career I wasn't old enough to see him at his prime but as well as he played in his 40s and 50s was pretty incredible. So, I, yeah, I mean, that'd be in, that'd be a treat. We'd have to play, you know, honestly, we wouldn't have to play any great golf course. We could go play Great Southern Golf Club where I grew up playing and in the condition it was when I was growing up, which was terrible. <laughs> well, that's a good foursome. Uh, I have included my dad in my foursome too there's no doubt uh, if my dad was still alive he'd be playing golf with me well justin thanks a million for coming on today you, you did a great job told some great stories and and uh you gave me everything and more that i thought you would so i appreciate that let's have a great spring and i'll see you in cabo huh yes sir we'll see you down there and put some sunscreen on yeah, absolutely all right thanks justin all right take care good luck